Welcome to Squirrel, a writer's podcast. I'm here with my incredible co-host, Sam Hendricks, and our special guest, Jody Jensen, who is an editor with Champagne Books. And she's here today because we have a very exciting topic that a lot of writers wonder about, what a good editor does and doesn't do. So I am... I'll start off by saying, and very honestly, I am a baby editor. I have only started editing the last couple of months, a month, not even a month. Oh, dear God. How long have I been editing for? Professionally versus your own work. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. So wait, that would be a month because it would start with the anthology, the Sunshine Anthology that I started putting together with wonderful Jody's help on editing and learning a lot from her. Uh, Jody, since you're our guest, why don't you tell us a bit about yourself besides the fact that you are an editor with a, with Champagne Books? Oh gosh. Okay. Um, actually I have been writing for as long as I can remember. And I got on Twitter a couple of years ago, which was a game changer for me. Um, I found my publisher through a pit mad in June, two years ago, pitched my novel, um, signed with my publisher at the end of that year. Um, had a little bit of a bumpy road because they had an editor kind of quit and left everybody hanging. And then there was an issue with a second editor. So I was without an editor for quite a long time. And when I finally did get one, it went super fast. Um, so my first novel's coming out. I also write, it's a time travel romance. I also write speculative fiction. So I do horror and paranormal and i tried my hand at sci-fi i'm not going to say it's my strongest one but um so that's actually kind of how i learned to edit was because i learned how to write other things that were outside of what i normally did so i had to think about every word and how things worked and what didn't work so that kind of was where i started to learn how to edit and then just um, beta reading and editing for friends. And I, I found I just kind of had a knack for it. And I just, I just learned. And I mentored with an English professor for a couple of years before all of this. So I learned a lot from her as well. Um, so that, that's my training in editing. <laughs> and it's just something I happen to have been good at. So, Oh, I love this. You got trained. You tra- helped awesome. train me. Sam, how about you? What's your <laughs> editing experience? Your journey into editing? Because I know you do my work. My journey. So uh, English and just the English language has always been a strong suit. So I started doing professional editing after I graduated from college. It's been about 10 years now. Um, mostly fiction, but I also do nonfiction, academic, technical, white papers, uh, marketing copy. I tend to wear the technical hat more than the creative hat. And it's something that I just, I don't wear them at the same time. I'm not sure why, but when I do editing for Kyanite, I always come at it from a developmental standpoint and then separately from a technical standpoint. So I do multiple passes on manuscripts and I, the technical standpoint does come easier for me. Um, it, it, I, I kind of can be a black and white person who's, I, I find the gray area and I'm, I'm trying to chill but I can be black and white. So technical editing is fun because I can fall back on conventions and rules and things that help bolster it versus the creative side where it's just, um, it's a whole other wild game that we'll talk about more, I think, in this conversation. So that is my experience there. And then I've been with Kyanite now since the inception of the company, co-founding it with BK Bass. And that was back in June, 2018. And since then I have edited probably a hundred short stories or more just with the company and at least 30 books. And then I've been doing freelance, like I was saying for years and years, I don't, haven't kept track of those numbers, but I would imagine it's a lot and it definitely helps the perspective. The, the most fun thing about this conversation, I hope we can get into if I'm allowed to squirrel here for a second is the perspective <laughs> with our own writing. When we get to edit professionally to get it, to bring it back as an author. Oh, yeah. Yeah. By the way, totally no squirreling allowed on this show ever. Right. No, but I have to admit, um, that's one of the biggest ways I learned was seeing the edits come back to me from other editors on my work and seeing how much better they can make it and realizing, 
well, you idiot, you could have done this too. You could have, you could have cut out half of this work the poor editor had to do on what on your story oh my god why do they even say yes to this well now that you mention it um with champagne books i do content editing and developmental editing so after i've done my couple of passes through the story and worked with the author i'm the first one to see it then it goes to copy edit and after the copy edits are done they will send me a copy of that document because that's a chance for me to learn. And I, I look through them and I, I try to see, okay, what did I miss? You know, what can I do better on next time? So that does actually help learn, help me learn a lot. Like you said, when you get work back and you can see what edits you missed, because <laughs> then now I find this time, the one I'm working on right now, I'm like, oh, oh yeah, this is not what we want to be doing here. And it's not something I maybe thought about before. No, that makes so, perfect sense. Absolutely. And you started mentioning different kinds of editors, and that's one of the topics I wanted to touch on. It's also one of the topics I know the least about. I know the word. I don't know what any of them mean. They, you know, there's lots of words that are used, and so they're sometimes used interchangeably, and sometimes in certain circles there's nuances. And so I never assume when given any of that language, even from a traditional publisher who I would think they and I have a similar viewpoint, I just never assume and ask them exactly what they mean. That's how convoluted I feel like the terms have become. Right. I would agree because I think about the processes that we have and the different stages and what I normally would like. I would have thought that a copy edit was very similar to a line edit and it's actually not at Champagne Books. They're two totally different things. And as a developmental editor, I don't worry so much about are all the commas in the right places. But if I see one that I know needs to be there or I know needs to come out, I'll do it. But... <laughs> I'm learning a lot more about that copy editing when they send it back because I'm like, oh, it isn't just about the commas. <laughs> They're doing more than that. They're taking out words that aren't needed and I should be doing that because as I'm reading through, if I see that they're reusing certain words too much or too many filtered things, I can take that out. I mean, I can make that suggestion and save another person the time because honestly, I go through it a couple of times with the author. So, you know, it's just teaching me other things, but it's making me realize that, yeah, those lines are blurred for sure. <laughs> you know, everybody does their part and then some. Indeed. And we've gone through so many iterations, even just with Kyanite in two years, trying to use different editors and freelance or just in-house editors. Sometimes a manuscript would pass through a total of 12 people before it was published because of proofers at the end of the process as well. And so throughout all of that, you know, the, the language and the terminology can change, but fundamentally what I feel like it is a general is just that we have line editing or copy editing where the focus is very specifically sentence by sentence for grammar, punctuation, um, technical, and craft-based objectives, such as what you just said, Jody, actually looking at like active or passive voice or filter words or other sentence construction issues. And then there's some kind of a middle ground where you're looking at actual scene-by-scene -scene development of the plot and the pacing and the characters. Um, and then your overall, you know, look at the plot and, and all of that from the big perspective. So sometimes I hear it boiled to three where you have that big developmental edit that's all based on that big picture stuff with kind of a mid-tier copy edit and then a very specific line edit or a proof. It, t it tends to be that way where there's at least two, if not three or four subcategories. Right. That's why I go through mine a couple of times because there's so many things that I'm supposed to be looking for. And then I have my own style of editing too. And so it yeah. requires more passes than just one. So especially Absolutely. the first person to see it because then it's in its most raw form. And I want to do everything I can to preserve the author's voice. And so I don't want to go through and slash everything up with red marks because I really want to preserve their voice. So it, you do have to go through it more than once because there's that back and forth with the author, you know. Absolutely. Trying to encourage them to use their own words to fix the problem areas instead of me changing it for them, you know, which you see in copy edits, they just change it for them at that stage. 
And I would say this is a good time to mention when we say, what does a good editor do? What we just did was we tried to define within this conversation what these terms meant. So if I offered my manuscript to Jody or Crystal, I would know what I was getting in return from them if they agreed to take a look at it. The same would be true for any good editor. I, I believe they will not just tell you, I'm going to give you a copy edit or a line edit or a structural edit and then not define exactly what that is. So I would recommend to anyone, if you're looking for an editor, what does a good editor do? They will tell you what they're doing with your manuscript and you'll know what you're paying for. Yeah, I, I know when I'm editing, I throw myself in the story and my mind has this thing. Anything that makes me start thinking about the words instead of the story being told, it's a small, it's, it's what I call a small stop. Make a note. And I look at the line and go, what pulled me out of this? Oh, there's a repetitive word. I'll make a note of that. I never change repeat words unless it's like, this word just needs to go because it's really not needed and it doesn't change the voice or what it means. And then, um, for example, on a, one thing I was editing, and if the author listening to this hears me talk about it, he'll know I'm talking about his work and we've laughed about it, repeated an entire paragraph from the beginning of the story way later in it. And I'm reading a long wait a second, that was a gorgeous description, but I swear I've read it before. <laughs> and I just laughed so hard and I just made a note. I'm like, so, and I copied the paragraph. I'm like, uh, kind of similar here. And we, we've joked about it uh, because I don't know, I don't know about you guys, but I'm pretty sure I could guess. Like a lot of writers, I'm guilty of repeating myself. Mm -hmm. And I have, I know, especially in my first book, um, a lot of it got cut. I have this bad habit of repeating phrases and whole sentences a few times over. I haven't done a whole paragraph yet that I know of, <laughs> Sam. Sam, can you back me up on this? I haven't heard Not that I know of. a whole paragraph yet, but it happens. It's I, because I tend to do the same thing. Those lines stick with you. They pop up in the middle of the night or when you're in the kitchen doing dishes. And so you make sure you put that line in and then you go back and you're editing and you don't see it where you thought you saw it. So you're like, oh, this would be a perfect spot for that line. And you just miss that, you know, there already was that perfect spot. Right. <laughs> Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, kind of like you're saying, it's so brilliant. I've got to have it, and then later you forgot that you had it. But that's why it seems so brilliant because you've already remembered that you know somewhere subconsciously you know. <laughs> exactly. Um, I love yeah. it. and it happens. And there's that. Those are all things I kind of call in my brain. They're soft stops. They're things that pull me out, but they don't ruin the story. They don't make me go, oh no. Well, and I've seen that on occasion where I've just been like, oh, oh, I don't know what to do about this. I'm just going to leave a nice, I, I think my longest note I've left was four paragraphs long regarding a specific scene. And what I thought you did might, they might want to address about that scene to have it either flow or be more um sensitive to the communities involved in what they were writing about um sensitivity i think is a very good thing that a, a good editor would point out as well um, yes. correct me if i'm wrong but sensitivity issues i mean as an editor you need to be aware of what the current climate is as far as you know do we need to make a note that oh that phrasing is associated with x and that might not be a good phrasing to use in this kind of book and you might want to rethink that well and i think it's really hard because as writers we're so encouraged to have a lot of diversity in our books in whatever form we decide our story needs you know and for everybody that's different but when you're including all of these diverse characters to make your big wide wonderful world that you're making you also have to be sure that you're not stereotyping and you have to be sure that you're approaching these characters in a way that's not offensive, even unintentionally. And it's hard to know sometimes what that is because you, you don't know, you know, <laughs> I mean, you don't always know. So it's, it's, I mean, it's hard because we really do want to include it and, and make all of these diverse stories that appeal to a broader audience but it, it can be difficult and you do have to be careful and a good editor will help you 
if you have inadvertently crossed the line somewhere without even realizing, you know? Absolutely. And another point to make is that sometimes it's not even just about sensitivity with those stereotypes, but believability. So we call it like a sensitivity reader, but I always think in my mind, you know, for me, sometimes it's believability where I'll read a person who's supposed to be a, a part of the LGBTQ community, for example, and I will think that, wow, this just seems very detached. This perspective that this person has seems so detached from the reality that I know of from that community, which isn't impossible. A good editor can also litigate almost any point and sort of argue the other side and go, well, maybe it's because of this. Maybe they're, you know, and kind of come up with a backstory that justifies these issues or errors. If you can, then, you know, sometimes you can, not sensitivity issues, hopefully, but other types of issues you can end up leaving in because you go, I'm going to write this MacGuffin or I'm going to explain it this way. Um, obviously, yeah, with sensitivity issues, not so much. So I think a good editor does do that. And if they're not capable of evaluating it from that perspective, then a good editor would find someone who can and would make sure that that's still done as part of the editing process. Right, and in that vein, I have actually had one of my authors, um, I probably shouldn't use a name because at this point, you know, <laughs> but I've had one of my authors where I had a question about a character that they had and whether or not that character was being stereotyped. And I did actually ask another editor that I knew because I wasn't certain. <laughs> and I think it's, if you know, for in order for me to do my job, I have to understand from a different perspective outside of my own, if that's not a character that I can relate to. And in this particular instance, it was not a character that I personally could relate to. And so I did have to ask someone, but then getting their input, I was like, oh yeah, I can totally see how this would be this way. And it made sense to me. And, I, and then I feel like I learned from it too. So honestly, you know, part of being a good editor is your willingness to admit when you don't know something and, and to ask for help and to be open-minded enough to learn what you don't know. That's such a good point, Jody. Um, that's something I wouldn't have thought to say today, but that is really important to say is how that the humility that it takes to be an editor. I've dealt with a lot of editors who really don't have that. And because editing can be black and white and because we get years of experience and we tend to think, you know, I, I know what I'm doing and, and maybe you don't kind of sometimes I'm <laughs> just saying, maybe some people feel this way. Um, you lose an ability to remember, you lose whatever, I'm fumbling on words here, but you forget the point is that you're trying to clarify the author's voice, their intentions, their vision. And you can't clarify someone else's vision if you don't understand right. it. So there has to be the humility to ask questions and say, what did you intend to do in this scene? Why are you using this type of language here? It seems like this. I might recommend to do this, but I want to know why. And coming from that perspective, I think, is, is the best editors I have and that I currently have right now have that capacity. They, they trust me and my vision and we work well together. And so that's, that's just huge. It, it is. And I think that the authors appreciate it when you do that, too, because when I had spoke with this particular author after the fact and everything was said and done, and I, I explained to her, you know, why this one particular section took me so long and what I was hoping to achieve with it. And I said, if you don't agree, it's not my job to write your characters or to change them. So if you don't agree with what, you know, my suggestions are, feel free to let me know. You know, we just, this was the, you know, there was one specific particular issue and it was dealing with religion actually. <laughs> and so I was like, and it was a religion I wasn't familiar with and I didn't know anything about. And I wasn't certain if this character and this religion was being stereotyped. And I was like, this really has to be figured out because this thing that happened in the story was kind of a, a turning point for the plot. So I said, you know, if you don't agree, we need to discuss and figure it out because I don't want to change your character. It's not my job to write your characters, you know, like that's your job. And my job is just to help you get it polished and, and help it to shine and, and make it the best it can be. So. Absolutely. 
and that it's a real collaboration between author and editor at least it is when you've got a good editor yeah. um and it, it shouldn't feel i hope that you know nobody who listens to this has ever had to feel like when they write a fiction manuscript and then whether they pay someone to edit it or someone does it for free or someone does it with your publishing company I hope you never get this experience where you feel like you're turning in a paper and you get something back with red marks all over it and you're weighed and measured and your identity or self-worth is tied up in how well you're perceived by this, you know, sort of godly creature of the, of the editor. It's, I've seen it happen before and it, it can really suck and it's, that's not how it should feel. It's an editor cannot do their job without the brilliance of the writer first doing theirs. Right and it should feel collaborative and you should feel good about the edits you're getting and like this person is helping you continue to create something amazing um, and, and have that feeling. So, you know, that's really the relationship with the editor and with how you feel, especially when it's within your power. That's one thing I would say is that a good editor has chemistry with you and not every good editor will have chemistry with you, but if they're good for you, they will. Um, and if there's any way that when you don't have that, you can get it by asking for another editor. I know that can be really uncomfortable. Have either of you ever had a friend or known of anyone who's had to fire an editor or ask for a different one, any situation like that? That actually happened to me. <laughs> one I was just sitting here thinking that because I remember talking to you yeah, about you it, Jody. <laughs> one of the editors I was assigned, and I'm not going to say names because I have the utmost respect for not only my publisher, but for people in general and the fact that everybody has lives and issues. And, and this particular person had a lot of personal things going on. And I think that contributed to the inconsistencies and the issues. And I actually had to email, this was before I was an editor myself for them, but I had to email my publisher and let them know what was going on and give them all of the details and that was so hard for me to do i mean crystal knows because i had talked to her about it and i'm like i don't know what to do and and after some discussion i realized i really only have one choice i need to say something or this isn't gonna you know this is my book and it's my publishing journey and it's got to be different than what's happening because what was happening wasn't good and it was the hardest thing i've ever had to do and you know when she emailed me back the publisher she said to me the first thing she said was i can't even imagine how hard that must have been for you to come to me with this and thank you so much for bringing it to my attention and i'll tell you i have never felt such relief in my life <laughs> because I, I was afraid I was gonna lose my contract actually, because I don't know. I mean, I it was my first contract, my first novel. I, I hadn't been part of that process before and I don't know what's considered, you know, crossing a line or, or if I had the right to say anything, I had no idea. That's actually brings up like, what is crossing the line from both the author's perspective and the editor's perspective? I mean, definitely you're signed with somebody. If you're not comfortable with your editor, most publishing companies and have somebody else they can assign you to if it's really not a good fit. Right. Well, this particular editor, what she had done was she was not working on my manuscript at all. And then she actually asked me to read and evaluate a manuscript of hers that she wrote and said, yeah, if you'll do this for me, I'll get right on those edits. And it made me feel like she was kind of, you know, withholding working on mine in order for me to agree to, do, <laughs> to read hers. And the level of, of unprofessional, you know, that crossed the line and I knew it, but I didn't know what to do about it. So, you know, honestly, it author yeah. feels like something's not right. I mean, if you can approach your editor and say, you know, I'm not comfortable with this or that, but if you can't, you have absolutely, you have every right to go to your publisher. Um, Champagne Books has an author liaison that you go to first and then they decide if it needs to go a step further to, you know, the big boss. So, and in my case, that's what happened. And from there, I was assigned a different editor. And that's exactly what I would say too. If you think there's something wrong, then there is. It, the line gets crossed based on where you think it is, and every author will be different. And it, you know, it's not necessarily. Sometimes that line might be really 
blow or, you know, however you might describe it to somebody else. They might go, oh, that's nothing, blah, blah, blah. I've dealt with, you know, that's fine. If somebody else didn't think it was an issue, who cares? If you do, that's fine. I take it to someone. And if you're in a position where there isn't a publisher or somebody else to talk to and you've paid this person or plan on it or exchanged something, then I, I would say just speak up. It's not worth it. Your work is so important and so special. If there's ever a time in life to speak up and make sure that this person who has access to your work and is supposed to be helping you actually is, I mean, now's the time to say something. And as far as freelance editors go, I don't know how you worked when you did freelance. I've not done freelance editing, but I did hire a freelance editor for my novel before I had my publisher. I wanted a developmental edit to see story-wise where I was at. And what she did for me was she asked me to send her the first three chapters and she would edit those and send them back and not charge me. And if I was happy with the edits and with the job that she did, and agreed to, you know, have a, a contract with her and let her do the whole manuscript, then I paid. So I didn't pay up front. I got the chance to see what work she was doing and what suggestions she had and see how we communicated and if it if I agreed with the suggestions and, and I could make a few changes and see if I thought, oh, this is better. I do need this, <laughs> you know. So I think that's always a good idea if you can find a freelance editor that will give you a sample first. I completely agree. I always offer a sample. I do that and have done that throughout my whole career. I think that's so important. Um, one, not to you know go on to the dark side here, but just one warning to anybody listening to this who thinks about going and picking up a freelance editor, especially on like an aggregate site like Fiverr. You can find great editors there. I'm on there. I've been on there before. There's, there's, not that I'm a great editor. I hope to be. Um, but my point is there are great ones on there. There are also people who are not really doing the editing. They have a profile there. They make up their credentials. And then they go on somewhere like Fiverr and find someone to do the editing for even cheaper than what they charged you. That has happened to a few of my friends recently. Um, and so it's, it's just something that I think that you can sort of prevent from happening by discussing with this person ways to get in touch with them via email or whatever the platform is, where you can just message back and forth and ask them questions about your manuscript and get some sort of un, uh, pre-typed, pre, you know, comments that come through because it's important to have the actual editor and not have this third party potentially charging you more, I think, right. for access to the real person doing it, which is tough. I know, I know it's kind of a crazy, like I said, kind of a dark <laughs> way of going about it, but it's come up recently. And so oh, I'm, wow. I'm kind yeah. of, yeah. I didn't even know that that happened. I mean, yeah. I, I guess I should have known because being someone who's done a lot of graphic design, I know graphic designers who do that. Yeah. That's come up with also in my experience of graphic design. So I guess it's just done all over the place. Wow. And it's unfortunate. And um, yes, so you want to vet who you're working with and you want to know that that's really who you're working right. with. Um, and it, I guess that it's, you know, like all marketplaces, there can be the bad apples on there who aren't telling the truth about what their, what their histories are and what they're capable of doing. Um, that being said, we could talk about associations because what a good editor does might also be taking on additional education or signing up for a membership um, through different organizations. Uh, that being said, I know that there's a lot of great editors who aren't assigned with any organization because they just, they aren't. But that is one way that you can go about trying to find people that you're pretty sure about their credentials with, um, as well as asking friends for recommendations, which is how I have always found my editors. Um, and Twitter, like we've mentioned before in this conversation, is a game changer for publishing networking. It is. And I actually keep, uh, I have an editing bio as well as a, like, I have a business bio that I keep. And on that, I have an editing bio, you know, as like a subcategory. And I list the name of every book that I've edited and the author. And if it's traditionally published, I list the publishing house that published it because I feel like. If somebody asks me, well, what work have you done? Let me see. I can give them that and they can check that for themselves. They're free to talk to any of those authors because, you know, I've, I've edited for them and it's not been a secret or anything, you know, like I want people to 
do their homework because if I'm going to edit for somebody, even as just a friend, as a favor, I want them to be happy with the arrangement and happy with what they're getting, you know, and I want them to know from the start, oh, they did this and this, and these are similar to the kind of books I write, maybe, or maybe this is the same genre that I write. And, and so it's a little easier. Like for me, it would be harder to do a developmental edit on a sci-fi story because that's not really my my thing <laughs> you know I have a feeling if that happened you'd be going crystal <laughs> yes I would <laughs> I absolutely and that's yeah. really important when we talk about people having a genre background especially to do a developmental and not a technical edit because a technical editor may not have you know I don't have the most background in romance for example although I'm a romance reader and I do watch romance movies um I don't do much romance editing so from a developmental standpoint, I, I bring forth, you know, hundreds of books as a reader who fundamentally understands that sort of construct and formula, but editors who really are specific about that, they have their finger on the pulse of the romance writing community, and they are definitely taking a look at that manuscript with a different lens and eye. And so when we're on Twitter and we're all sharing editing and bartering editing and beta readers and critique partners, it's easy to just feel like I got to take what I can get, especially if you don't have a productive experience on Twitter or the Facebook groups that are set up for that and you're not finding a lot of people interested in reading for you. It can feel like, well, anything's better than nothing. That's not necessarily true. I have actually seen editing advice so poor that I wish that person wouldn't have ever encountered the individual I, so I mean as an author you have to be willing to stand up for yourself if you know somebody's wrong because I can remember years ago um, being part of a critique group actually and there was one guy in this critique group and he was so sure that he knew everything and he was not a published author he was not an editor he wasn't anything but another writer like everyone else and not that I'm saying anything bad about that of course as writers we know how to put words together right but he wrote um, mysteries, murder mysteries. And, and he was critiquing my romance and he would say to me, you need to take this out. You need to take that out. It serves no purpose. And I'm like, but you don't write romance and you don't read romance. And you need to understand these scenes that you want me to take out, they're building the relationship and you have to have that in a romance. Otherwise you get accused of, oh, instant chemistry, and they're going to run off into the sunset, and he doesn't even know her last name or whatever. You need to have a relationship building. And, and somebody gave me that advice, and I knew it was bad advice, and I refused. And what ended up happening, I walked away from the critique group because I would go, and he would get angry because I didn't take his advice and take those things out. And he would, get, like, he would take it personally and get angry. And I think as a writer... From, from that side of things, you have to be willing to stand up for yourself when you know somebody's giving you bad advice. And as an editor, I think that you need to play to your strong points, you know, whenever possible. You need to. Absolutely. Because I think yeah, you, how you have the most success and how you, you know, get better at what you do as an editor is that you play to your strong points and you edit the kind of work that you understand and you know. <laughs> Yeah. There's so much to be said for self-awareness, <laughs> which is really difficult is. to teach people in any profession <laughs> or facet of life. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I gotta agree. I mean, it's one of the reasons that even as a writer, one of the best pieces of advice I can give other writers is try new things, try new genres, try a different style of writing. The more you try these things, the more you understand what certain genres need, what certain genres don't need. I mean, you guys have both been front seat witnesses to my, what may be probably be my only <laughs> venture into romance, because I'm going to be honest, for all the people out there, this is my squirrel moment right now, for everybody listening, if you think romance is some easy, trashy, formulaic thing, Oh my fucking God, you have no idea how hard it is to write it well. <sighs> that is my little mini squirrel rat right now. Um, as I know Jody's aware, and Sam a little bit, because I think I had a whole sobbing fest to her for five seconds. <laughs> I had a very insecure moment working on editing my romance, my paranormal romances coming out. 
And it's not even a traditional style romance. Um, Jody's read both books as one of my beta readers. Um, and it's because of her that I'm making all these changes to the first book <laughs> now. Yes, Jody, I'm blaming you for my mental breakdowns. Um, but I trust your opinion because you are a romance writer. You are a romance editor. You know what the hell you're talking about. And, you know, I will never regret because I think the story is incredible. I think the characters are fascinating writing this romance. I am just not sure. I have the strength of skill to go back into trying to write these intimate emotional scenes because those who know me well know that I prefer death and destruction over love, love hearts and kisses. So, well, and I think as that editor, is my strength. As an editor, you have to be willing, like with a romance novel or not even just that, but any kind of novel, there's going to be those scenes that are very intimate, whether it's in um, in relation to love and romance, or maybe it's in relation to, you know, death or, you know, any number of things. When you have those really intense, intimate scenes, you have to have an editor who understands not just the pacing, but, but how to bring out those emotions that you need, whether they're positive or negative. To so those scenes have the impact that the author intends them to have. That's such a good point, Jody. Yes. It's like emotional intelligence. Am it, I right? It is. Like it's, there's a different skill. Yeah, there. there is. Because, I mean, it's kind of like, for example, if you have a scene where it's supposed to be life and death, and the character, like the scene I'm thinking of was one I had read years ago, just as a beta read for somebody, and their opening scene was that of a serial killer, and there's like blood everywhere, and they're noticing um, water droplets coming from a pipe on the ceiling and they're noticing peeling paint, but it's life or death. And I'm like, no, <laughs> like more white space on the page, short little sentences. You need that impact to be believable. When you have these long paragraphs of description, you forget what is even really happening oh yeah she's tied up and about to die but we noticed the same thing you know that brings up a good point for me because i think things like that happen too in editing when we go back in and we get told something by somebody this happens a lot for or, or did for me when i was an infant writer and was figuring out you know taking this advice that i would get and one of them was that i just didn't have enough descriptions in my my stories so you go in and you're trying to look to add description and you're not doing it in the pacing of the story. You're not going back and really getting your feet wet and you're just throwing things in willy nilly and hoping for the best. You know, that's another thing a good editor is going to do is say, yeah, describe things, just not when she's about to right. die. <laughs> yeah. And I've, I've been there. I mean, I gave someone, they, they gave me a few chapters and I'm like, this story is absolutely fascinating they're in the middle of a battle and these sentences are so, so long. Yeah. <laughs> and pacing is important. Pacing doesn't just mean what's happening. It includes what's happening is affected by the length of the sentences that you're writing. So if it's yeah. a calm, quiet, you know, uh, there's a word I'm thinking of that I forgot. This is great for an editing conversation. <laughs> You know, these moments where you're just introspective or reflective. Uh, yeah, our reaction scenes, for sure. You're going to want to. But if you're in the midst of a battle, if somebody is murdering you, right. it is brief, short, active right. sentences that keep you engaged. Absolutely. Well, and it keeps the reader. The, I think, like, part of it is subconscious because when you have shorter sentences, then it feels like you're reading faster and more white space on the page you're you're turning pages faster so in your mind as a reader things are happening faster at a quicker mm -hmm. pace. i do think it's like a conscious Absolutely. thing which speaks to how interconnected this all is as right. well yeah um that a, a line editor can actually do something structural and developmental by saying those things you just said white space shorter sentences but you were talking about emotional impact right. so there's a connection between those right. 
there really is. And I have a battle scene. I think it's three chapters long. And I had a critique saying, oh, well, that's, you know, oh, it happened all too quick. And I'm like, well, it's a very active three chapters. Everything goes, 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 goes. And you both know the book I'm talking about. And yeah. And I thought, I'm like, oh, was it too short? Was it just too abbreviated? I'm like, and then I sat down, I'm like, it's three fucking chapters. How is that too short for a final Right. But if someone can't stop all in one session, then it may seem that way. But again, that goes to like the subconscious, which goes to the skill of the writer in, in creating that scene, you know? And yeah. where to break and where to have those really impactful moments. Yeah, because this is an encounter that only lasts maybe two hours because they're up against a far more powerful foe. They are bound to be defeated the way I have it set up, and yet it's three chapters. So how is that too short? Because the entire buildup is we might not be able to beat him, and he is just going to crush us like the ants we are, but we're going to try anyway. Yeah. So really, it should have lasted five minutes if, you know, my antagonist wasn't a conceited SOB. So... (laughs) So can I throw something else out here about what, no, because we thought about like what good editors do, but I think like across the board, doesn't matter the genre, it doesn't matter the style of book. It doesn't even matter if it's fiction or nonfiction across the board. Something that a good editor will not do is try to change the voice of the author. And I've also had that happen to me where um, critique partner, in the past has tried to change my voice and wanted me to sound like her because she had her style that she liked. And it's just- Oh dear, was that me? It's just not having, no, no, it was way before, it was years ago, but I think it's not having the experience to know that that's not a good thing to do, that, that your author's voice is uniquely yours. And as an editor, you should never try to change an author's voice ever. In fact, you should do everything you can to preserve it. That's what I do. And I mean, I know, I really want to take credit for this. I dragged Jody kicking and screaming into the world of speculative (laughs) dark fiction. (laughs) (laughs) I used to be a happy little romance writer. And now I write horror stories. (laughs) kind of hilarious actually (laughs) I'm still very proud of that fact but it I think part of it was my passion for how much learning other styles can help you be a better writer and I think you've probably discovered that too right absolutely but I only bring that up because you well I squirreled when you said uh critique partner (laughs) which is all what I'm gonna about I'm going to squirrel back um, with the author's voice concepts too, because I know that we have all now been editing other people's work as well as we are authors. So we can speak from both sides of the aisle, so to speak on this. And when it comes down to an author's voice, something that's interesting coming from the editing perspective is that so often some authors believe their voice is something different than what I think maybe some editors think in author voices. So when you touched on that, I thought that's a really good point to kind of bring up and flesh out because some people tend to think when we send corrections that their voice is every word they've chosen to write, every punctuation mark, every single thing that gets changed in that manuscript is their voice. And from from the editing side, you know, you say no this bad writing and this bad punctuation right here is not your voice. Your voice is the way you choose to tell this story, just as if you were sitting around a fireplace. If I wanna hear the story from Jody, or do I wanna hear Crystal tell me? And depending on the story and how animated this person is, and I might want both of them to tell me the story. So let's just factor that in, you guys co-write something. Um, But that's how it is. That's what the author voice I think is, is, it's so many more things than just where you might have chosen to put a comma. And so from, from the author, I would just say, if you, can, if you can think about it as an author, to accept that some things will change without it being your voice. But how do you guys define, what, what do you think your voice is? As a writer or as an editor? 
both? And how do you think we could bridge the gap to like have a better understanding of? Well, I think from the writing standpoint, I look at, and, and I maybe come at this from a different way than someone else would. And maybe it's because I have editing experience, but when I write characters, I, I mean, my own, my own morals and my own views of the world are apparent in the characters that I create, you know? So my, my main characters, my heroes and heroines, they have qualities that I either admire or respect about other people, or maybe they have little nuances that I myself have, or maybe one of my kids have or something, but things that are positives for me, where my you know, antagonists will have negative traits that I've seen and viewed, but maybe somebody else wouldn't see some of those negative things as negative. You know, I think it's the way individually as a writer you see the world and your own perceptions and how your own experiences have tainted or not tainted your view of the world. As an editor, I will always go through and read before I start editing because I want to know their voice in the story. I want to know those little nuances. I want to know if they tell me 17 times in chapter one that the character sighs a lot, that tells me something about the character as well as the author, right? That, that they are someone who considers and, and is exasperated a lot or, so then I try to say, okay, as we're developing this story, let's make sure that the character is still being the character but maybe we just show other types of body language, not just this one thing. But I wouldn't necessarily take them all out or say, oh, they sigh too much, do something else. I mean, you have to give a little guidance and understand where they're trying to go with the character, which is why I always read the story first, because I need that big picture <laughs> before I can break it down. I have always felt that way too, Jody. I tried to never, ever give editing feedback before I've read the whole story. Right. Um, which is, I know, not how some editors do it, and I'm sure those editors are, are just fine and, and great. Um, but I just think, how can you know the context, and how can you know what the author's vision right. was in totality to then start making suggestions back here, where it's like, it's almost as the, as the writer, to be honest, if I have an editor who does that, I can tell, because they'll say something that's like, Okay, so obviously you haven't gotten up here yet to see this little nugget that I left here. And, and when you do, that will make sense. But they'll leave me comments that are like, that, that, and then they'll even leave comments. They're like, oh, I get this now. And I'm like, yeah, okay, so these are like reader comments as you're figuring out what's going right. on. Um, yeah. But I think I do that. it is important. Yeah, it, I think it's important to know. I have gone back, like I am one of those editors. I don't want to read it all first. I want to approach it as if, since it is my first time reading it and see it the way a reader would see it so sometimes like if it's something like oh i wonder if they're going to clarify this later um i don't leave a comment i don't do anything about it i immediately do edits for anything that's struck like not structural but anything that is grammatically incorrect or pulls me out of the story as i read um but sometimes i'll get to a point and go okay well this question was posed, but I've gotten three quarters of the way through and we're onto something totally different and what the heck is going on? And so then I will go back or I'll even note at this mm -hmm. point and go, hey, but then I'll also leave, which I know you do, Sam, reader notes where I, I have left, oh my God, I actually once, I think I totally, I was fourth walling and I was just like, yeah, dude. Yeah, I'm not even talking to the author. I'm talking to the damn character at this point. I'm like, I am so with you, man. I want to know the answer to this too. And if you don't get it, I'm going to kill the author. Right. <laughs> and it, it was somebody I'm really good friends with. So I knew they would understand. But I'm just like, I'm going to be so mad if you don't get the answer to this. And I'm talking to this character. And to me, that's a sign of a good story as well. Because I am so into it. I just, I feel for the character. Right. Absolutely. There was a, I have to give credit where credit is due. Um, the, the English professor that I mentored with, she uh, wrote a book called Constructing the Novel, and she has in her book what she wrote as the Ten Commandments of Writing. Number one, top of her list, is thou shalt not kick thy reader out of thy story. <laughs> and honestly, that is the single best piece of advice as a writer and an editor that I think I've ever had, because if I'm reading, 
and something kicks me out of the story, I will just highlight it and keep going because I know there's problem there and I'll come back to it. But as a, as a writer, you never want to do that. And as an editor, if you see it, it's our job to say something here, even if we don't know what it is. And Crystal and I have had conversations and shared a paragraph or something and said, what's not working here? Because you're kicked out of the story. And when, when you kick out of the story, Absolutely. that's when somebody puts the book down and walks away. That's right. You know, yeah. <laughs> I've heard it referred to as being ejected from the narrative as well. <laughs> Um, so I, I totally agree. And I think that the tough part for a writer is to understand that your readers are going to be different than you and think differently right. than you. And so there can be a moment in a story that will kick one person out and won't kick out another. So your editor might not catch it, but somebody who leaves a review on Amazon might say it, it certainly was that for them. Um, and so that's, that's what's kind of amazing about it is it, it is somewhat subjective, but it's also not. I think we can all come to this as editors and say there's definitely some objective right. things as well. And as a writer, kind of learning what those are and learning to defend yourself and to say, I understand you didn't like this or you kind of went here with it, but the, I'm going to leave it in to be able to know that and have confidence. And that comes, I think, probably with years and years of editing. Right writing and, and deciding, you know, how important moments are in your book. I know some people, they kind of use the term precious, and they say that some people are precious with their words, and they don't like to be told that they've ejected a reader. Um, but that's always an opportunity to take a look and go, why? What, and what was my intention? Because it probably wasn't to, to have them buck off, and how can I fix it? Right. Um, for sure. Well, because at the end of the day, whether you're a writer or whether you're on the editing side, the goal is the same. And that is, you want that book to be so good that the reader can't put it down. That they're going to read it while they're cooking dinner, and they're going to take it in the bathroom with them, and they're going to lay in bed <laughs> with the lights on until one in the morning if they have to finish that book because they don't want to put it down. And, and truly, as the writer and the editor, that is your goal. You share that common goal, you know, that in that writer and, and editor relationship that you want that story to be that polished. You want it to be that good. Uh, let's be honest. I want, as a writer, there is one time I want the reader to put my book down. And it's not so much as putting it down as throwing the motherfucker across the room and then running back over, picking it up and needing to see what happens next because I just. <laughs> I, I hit them that hard emotionally that they just had to throw the book across the room at a wall or something and then but that wasn't they couldn't just leave it there they need to know what was next right one of these days I, I will have that. somebody tell me that they have done that because I want them that emotionally involved in my characters and that's and a good editor I'm hoping will get me there one day <laughs> Exactly. A good editor, like Jody was saying, to have the ability in these emotionally impactful moments, an editor who is experienced with fiction, if you're writing fiction, if you're in nonfiction and you're having emotional moments, it's not a travel guide, it's a memoir or whatever else, a good editor will be able to know humans and know characteristics and emotions and behaviors and be able to really look at that and make sure you're accomplishing that impact that you think right. you I'd love to go top three things somebody should look for in an editor and top three red flags that should send you running for the hills. Oh boy. Top Ooh, three. that's awesome. Okay. Yeah. What are those? Go ahead, Jody. <laughs> yeah, Jody, you go. You're our guest. Okay. You go first. <laughs> top three things. Um, all I can say is what I would look for. I, I understand genre wise and your style of writing too that's going to be different for everyone but for me top three things you want to look for in an editor is you do want somebody who at least reads your genre even if they haven't edited that before if they at least read it they have an understanding of how that type of story the mechanics of it and what makes it work because if you don't have that understanding it's like i said if i tried to edit a sci-fi story it would be hard for me because I don't understand the mechanics of a sci-fi story. Because I, I don't read that. It isn't even about if I write it. I don't really read it. So, so that's my first one. Probably my second one is that you want somebody, me personally, who also writes. And that's important to me because, again, they understand how to put a story together. They understand when you're leaving clues or breadcrumbs 
you know, toward that end. They understand when you're trying to make a subplot work or they, they understand all of those things because they themselves are writers. So I, to me, that's important. Maybe not to everyone, but to me it is. And the third thing is I really, really want somebody who has at least some experience. And I know you all have to start somewhere. I had to start somewhere too. And I appreciate that I was given an opportunity when I didn't have as much experience as some other people. But I think some experience is really important because the more I do this, the more I learn. And the more I learn, the better I get. And so I feel like five years from now, if I were to go back and re-edit the very first book that I edited, I would probably do better. I hope. I hope I'll do better because that means I've learned. <laughs> so I think experience is a really good thing. Somebody who has done some editing in some capacity before, you know, that you can check their background or check with somebody they edited for and just see, was that person happy? Did they feel engaged and understood and feel like their work was better at the end of the day? And for probably my big three no's, <laughs> I would say you definitely don't want somebody who their goal is to change your voice and make it sound like them. Because I think when you lose that, you your story loses its impact because it's not being told by you anymore. And I think it's important that your story is told by you. Right? So that's important to me. Another big no for me would be somebody who is unprofessional. And what I mean by that is, I think it's fine with my authors. We email back and forth and how you doing? And it was a beautiful day on the lake today, or I went for a walk and the leaves in my yard are pretty. And, and that's great. And I consider some of my authors really good friends, but you want somebody who's professional enough to say to you, this is a problem and we need to fix this and let's talk about it. Somebody that can separate your friendship from your work and be honest with you. And if, a person can't be professional in that capacity. I feel like it's probably not going to be a good editing experience. And probably my third one is honestly somebody who doesn't communicate well and takes forever to do the work because I feel like as writers, it already is such a long process to get published that if you have an editor and it takes a year to get your book edited, then I feel like you're losing a lot of time. And, and I just think you need somebody who's on top of things, somebody who, who can work at a good pace and who can communicate with you and doesn't take three weeks to email you back. And <laughs> under normal circumstances, you know, if, if there's some big issue, then that's one thing. But, you know, we're talking about regular normal circumstances. I think there's gotta be just somebody who, who can't maintain that, that pace of, of work in a professional way is, is problematic. No, those, those are awesome. Those are all really good points, Jody. And especially if you're ever using somebody like we talked about off of Fiverr or Twitter or a group or somewhere where it's not somebody that you, you know of, those are things that can be difficult to vet or to know for sure you're not going to end up experiencing that. So if you do, if you end up in, in Jody's situation where the book, you know, took months and months and months and months before an editor, it sounds like was assigned, or maybe the editor was assigned, but wasn't doing any work and the publisher didn't know. Um, in those types of situations, those are definitely those speak up situations like we talked about. I can't say that enough, because I know, like you said, how much bravery it took to come to the publisher in that situation. I've also been in a situation where I didn't have a publisher, but I had paid someone privately. Sorry, I'm coughing a little bit. I'm totally fine. I had paid, my voice is breaking with emotion. Um, no, I had paid this person and I, I didn't really have anywhere to go except them. Mm -hmm. And I had paid a 50% down deposit at the beginning. And after getting the work back, I didn't want to pay the rest, nor did I want to pay the 50% deposit. I was so frustrated and angry and I didn't know what to do. And I thought there's no way if I speak up, this is going to go well. They're just going to take the first 50% and then they're going to say terrible things or rate me badly on this site as a consumer or what's going to happen and maybe I just need to take this. And there's so many times that I know people will have somewhat of a similar situation where they feel that they cannot speak. And so that's, yeah, that's one piece of life experience I'd say is just always stand up for yourself. This is your work. It is.
it's just, it's so personal. It's so incredibly personal. Well, and honestly, I'm actually grateful for that experience because it taught me how important it is to stand up for yourself and to not be afraid to speak when you need to. Absolutely. All right. Well, with that being said, we're going to wrap up our conversation today of what editors do. <laughs> Thank you so much, Jody. I had such a wonderful time getting to know you better and hearing your insights on this. Thank you guys for having me. And I'm, I'll just close by saying happy editing. I always say that to my authors because editing should be a good experience. It should be fun. It should be engaging. It should be positive. So I always just say happy editing. Sure, unless I love me, it. and I spend the entire time screaming. <laughs> I've had both, as a writer and as an editor, but I agree. <laughs> Happy editing if you can. Yeah. Happy editing, everyone. <laughs> Thank you for listening. This has been another wonderful squirrely podcast from Squirrel, a writer's podcast. Squirrel writers.